Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast for Sunday the 11th of November, Remembrance Sunday. Some brilliant guests on the show this week. We talked to two of them on the telephone. The first of those, Bryony Frost. It's a year to the day since Bryony Mania really hit National Hunt Racing with her triumph on Present Man in the 2017 edition of the Badger Ales Gold Cup at Wincanton. Fast forward 12 months and she was at it again. And not only that, coming back off significant injury as well. She was quite brilliant at Wincanton and she was quite brilliant when she spoke to us as well. You'll be able to hear that again. Also caught up live from Dubai with Charlie Appleby. What an extraordinary season he's had. 12 group or grade one winners around the globe, including another Breeders' Cup winner, becoming the first British-based trainer to win the Melbourne Cup. And, of course, he took the derby with Massa. He gives us news on that horse's return, plus what the future might hold for his Melbourne Cup hero, Cross Counter. And, indeed, just taking stock of what an extraordinary event the Melbourne Cup was. One man who'd just come back from the Melbourne Cup was one of our studio guests this week, Lee Mottershead. He spoke enthusiastically and almost evangelically about his time in Melbourne. And he was joined in the studio by trainer Dr. Richard Newland, who's had such an extraordinary season already. 40 winners and counting, with only 21 stables at his yard. And Paddy Brennan was a thoughtful, informative guest. It's been a remarkable week for him. His wife, Lindsay, had just given birth to their third child, a daughter, Chloe, on Friday morning and he was most revealing about some of the mental anguish it has taken to reach the very top of his profession. Our special guest on Luck on Sunday was the eight times champion jockey and very much a totem of national hunt racing during the 80s and 90s, Peter Scudamore, who latterly has found fame once again as the partner of Lucinda Russell, the trainer of One for Arthur. Peter Scudamore has a book out, a book that was written in conjunction with his late father Michael and his son Tom and the Guardian's Chris Cook called Scudamore's Three of a Kind, charting national hunt racing through the generations. He was as engaging a guest as you could have hoped for. We also had a fairly extensive debate on the whip and the future of the whip across uh, the racing world with Paddy Brennan, with Richard Newland and with Lee Mottershead. So, so much to enjoy in this especially truncated podcast. Uh, through the next hour, you can enjoy the best of Luck on Sunday. You can catch up on all the Luck on Sunday highlights with the Luck on Sunday podcast available via iTunes each and every Sunday from mid-afternoon. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai three cracking studio guests for the bulk of the programme as well. I feel like I'm, I'm bathed in a rosy glow of success. Lee Mottershead is back. You're, you're looking confused. Success? Yeah, well, you've been at the Melbourne Cup and oh, you've had yes. a great time. Yeah, I did win it, though. Lot, yes, no. Financially, punting-wise, I did, but it was a better day for Charlie Appleby and Karen McAvoy. But whenever I hear you talk about it, I feel like you've won. Yeah, it's, it's a... Well, we'll talk about it later, but it is the most fabulous racing occasion. And if you go there 
as a racing fan, you will leave even more passionate about the sport. And I've been told by my guests, Dr Richard Newland and Paddy Brennan, both enjoying their first... Well, I hope they're going to enjoy it, their first experience here in the Luck on Sunday Shed. Uh, not to ask too many questions about flat racing, but frankly, <laughs> the way you're going, you could turn your hand to anything, couldn't you? 40 winners already this season. We've had a wonderful start to the season, but still don't ask me too many questions about flat <laughs> racing, please. Uh, your, your strike rate on the flat's probably about five from five, and I just haven't even looked. No, I think it's probably none from none. <laughs> we very, very rarely have a flat runner, but only a, a jump horse where there's an opportunity. But no, we've had a superb start to the season. The team been doing a great job, and um, yeah, we had forty winners and forty winners uh, nailed already, which is great. Halfway through the year, from how many individuals? Twenty-one horses? boxes. We're running twenty-one. Yeah. Twenty-one boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there'll be people scratching their heads up and down the land, thinking, "How on earth is he doing that?" Well, we 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 do as much in the summer as we do in the winter, so yeah. we keep the, the 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 thing rolling. And you know, there are some slightly easier races in the summer as well, so we try and take advantage of that. But uh, we have had an exceptionally good time of it that so far this. This year, touch wood. Yeah. But congratulations first and foremost must go to you, Paddy Brennan, because for the third time you've become a father on Friday morning, was it? Chloe was born? Yeah. She's just named this morning, actually, so, yeah. So um, this is a world exclusive? Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so no, it's all good, little girl. Congratulations to you and Lindsay. And you've got two boys already, haven't you? Yeah, um, two little boys and my wife, I had... She, Needed a little bit of persuasion for the third one, so I felt like she got a little girl, so I'm delighted for her. And, and she's a, your, your wife's a nurse anyway, so yeah. a, a, that, does that make life a bit more reassuring for you when you've got to get on the road? You had to go to Kelso yesterday, you rode a double yesterday at Kelso, buoyed by the success of recent fatherhood again? Yeah, like obviously being a nurse is, is and in Worcester Hospital where she's had the baby and where she still is now, it's helpful that she had a little bit of inside um, help from the doctors and nurses there. So, yeah, it all worked out pretty smoothly. Everyone needs a bit of inside information sometimes. It can, it can be very useful, can't it, Lee? Undoubtedly. Um, and as far as you're concerned, I mean, this is a, a terrible time of the year in a sense. You don't want to go and spend a, a load of time at home. You'll just keep kicking, I guess. Well, you got it, yeah. Look, we've all, we've all been waiting for the rain, and thankfully it's come now, so we're all busting to get going. So, yeah, it's exciting times. You've now put Melbourne behind you. You yes. can focus on the jump season. How yeah. satisfying was it for you from a scribe's point of view to see uh, Bryony Mania, as I described it at the beginning of the programme, ignited again, all over again yesterday? Oh, it's fantastic. So, yes, I, I had a rare Saturday sat at home watching the racing on TV because generally you're, you're there and you're writing about it. Um, and I, I just think one of the joys of watching Bryony win a race is you know you're going to have another chance of a Bryony interview after the race and she doesn't only ride so well she speaks so well about the sport um, and it's I think it's because she speaks in a way that makes racing accessible to people watching it you don't have to be a racing nut when you listen to Bryony to understand what she's saying she talks about the horses as though they're her friends as though they're people she puts she gives them human qualities and I think for people watching and listening to her that's very endearing I don't know what you think, Paddy. I'll ask you first of all, how hard is it to express yourself really fluently and articulately when you've just done this? Yeah, look, success or winning can sometimes make you feel a bit drunk, and for me it definitely does. I get far too excited, but like Lee said, Bryony's like doing exceptionally well, and you've got to understand she's riding against the best jockeys um, at the moment, like jockeys are only getting better, and she's riding against the very best. Like you see, Noel Feely in there in second, one of the best jockeys I've ever ridden against. And um, look, you got to take your hat off. She's beautiful to watch, and 
it's great for the sport. She gave that horse a really good ride as well yesterday. She was, you know, on a horse that likes to be prominent, mm. but going out on the second circuit, she was taken on the lead, and she could have got into a wall for the lead, but she didn't do. She she sat back, she let the the other horse go on, and she waited for the right time. And she won't be minding listening to this at all because <laughs> she's on the line now. Brownie, good morning. <laughs> oh, how thanks, guys. It's really kind of you to be saying stuff like that. <laughs> Well, um, it, it, it's richly deserved, and yesterday must have given you a, an enormous amount of satisfaction. Was it, was it better than last year? Uh, yeah, I, I have to think so, because, you know, last year we were, you know, in the present man, he, he, people knew about him because obviously his owners and things, but everyone had their doubts because of the ground, whereas this year he came in as one of the big guns and, and people expected him to do it, so... You know, there was a heightened pressure for him and uh, it was just good to deliver him and and, and make make another special day for, for everybody. You know, it was just the perfect day for the team yesterday. It was, it was unbelievable. There's a couple of interesting subtexts of this. We're just seeing there uh, Mark Woodhouse, the owner, with, with Paul Nichols. And it, 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 the, the Woodhouse family are, have been so involved in this day. They sponsor the day with the, the Badger Ales company. So to have a winner for them in these colours in, 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 on, in, on a horse that has been tuned to the minute by that trainer to win, I, you'd say there's a fair bit of pressure, I guess. Oh, no, it makes my life easy. I mean, look, what would you rather be on the favourite or the 33-1 outsider? Um, you know for a fact exactly that your horse, he's a complete athlete. You have all faith in him. He's 100% fit. He's had every waking hour concentrated on him to make sure that he is ready by Clifford and Paul at home. And, you know, Dave, the head lad in the yard that he's in, um, you know, obsesses over him. Um, it's his life and joy. And it's just when you go out there and you know that your horse is 100%, you have owners that fully back you, you can only ride with confidence. You know, there's never a doubt in your mind. How hard did you have to work to get yourself back for this season? Because that was a nasty injury you had. How much did you put yourself through the mill and how much did it affect you mentally? Oh, I mean, I've got Oakley House that were behind me um, and the Injured Jockeys Fund. And I mean, without them, um, I wouldn't be back the way I am. Um, you know, they've, they completely took me under the wing um, and, and, you know, pointed me in every direction and put me in a dot-to-dot line. Um, you know, yeah, okay, we had a bad fall, but with jump jockeys, it's going to happen. You know, nine times out of ten, we hit the floor and and you you get up and you're all right. One out of ten, you don't. And uh, I think it was my first proper fall and my first time I actually had to sit out and watch horses. I knew I'd be riding, go past the line first, and it grew me up a bit. You know, but I I've had fantastic people around me, my dad, Fitzy, all my family. You know, keeping me keep me very much focusing on on you know the return and how to do it and you know, I spent five weeks solid in Oakley you know um, and all of my physios and everybody that worked with me there made sure I was 100% and I, I came back stronger I've matured a lot I've been like a young horse got turned out in the field you know I've come back t- twice the size so um, yeah no it's, it's actually it's, if you've got to have a positive out of a negative I've got to spend a lot of time with my family and also um, rebuild my body what would you say is your key ambition for this season? Oh, look, it's um, just keep keep rolling and keep rolling positively, um, you know, and uh, keep working as hard as I can, um, keep improving because I've got to, you know, um, I've got I've got to try and be able to to fly the flag, so I've got to be able to be riding 110 percent every day of the week, and uh, yes, yeah, so that's very much it. I just go out there or whatever horse I ride, try and get in the best possible result I can, because at the end of the day, that's, that's your job. And Lee was talking about how 
how enjoyable it is to listen to you talking, particularly because you, you talk about the horses in a way that, that people understand and you, you express what it's like to ride in a race in a, in a really interesting and uh, an articulate way. Do, do you feel that, that riding horses is, is something that is, is just in you? It's, it's always been inside you and it's, it's the only way really that you can, you can, you can express yourself? I think, I think everyone who's ridden a horse will understand that it's a unique partnership. You don't, you know, you can get it with your dog at home if, if you, you train him to sit or something. It's, it's that sort of partnership where you're both understanding what each other want, but you can't talk to each other. It's, it's so a lot of it is through feeling and sight and, and emotion. And it's, it, that you just can't get that anywhere else. You know, yesterday when we turned in with P-Man and we jumped four out like he did, and I asked him to gallop because I knew they'd be coming home for us, you know. And just when you felt him give you his last gear, he's given you absolutely everything, and now you're at 100% full tilt down the straight at, at Wincanton, and the fences are now coming thick and fast, you know. He can't go any faster, and he's determined just as much as you are, you know. He knows what he wants. And the way that he came up two out just shows how hungry he was for the line. And it's just something that, you know, you don't you don't get in day to day life. And it's something you live for. And, and yeah, it's, it's everything to me. It's, it's about the only reason why I'm here. <laughs> Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Lee Mottishead has just come back from Melbourne. Richard Newland has asked me not to talk about flat <laughs> racing, but he won't mind me talking about this because it is the race that stops the nation. Or, Lee, is it now the race that stops that nation winning? It's certainly a different race. Um, it's a race in which um, Europe and international riders in general have a tremendous amount of power. But that's basically because the Melbourne Cup has become such a success. The organisers have made it such a success and we saw that again this year. Um, it was great to be there for a first British winner. You know, we've been trying for 25 years to, to win the race. A 1-2-3 this time. You wouldn't have thought at this point the horse on the outside and the red cap was going to win. Karen McAvoy on cross-counter. But he produced a tremendous surge from off the pace to really Marmello on the far side there for Ewan Morrison and Prince of Aaron here on a fantastic race for Charlie Fellows. And it was a wonderful contest. And I didn't sense from being there on the day that the locals were thinking, no. this is disastrous. Um, and I think when you're, when you're there, it's, it's, it's very hard not to get caught up in the enthusiasm for it. Uh, for, for me, I've, I've done three now, and the last two I've done as Busman's Holidays because I enjoy it that much. It's the single greatest racing experience in the world. And I say that, because for all the great festivals that we have, and we do, Cheltenham is marvellous, Aintree's marvellous, Ascot's marvellous, they are race meetings dropped on a location. Racing invades Cheltenham, racing invades Aintree, racing invaded um, Churchill Downs, the Breeders' Cup. Melbourne has a sense of ownership over the Cup Carnival. It really gets wrapped up in it. The system there is very clever, in that the, the way sport works is that you have a season for footy, you have a season for cricket and you have a season for racing. So racing gets a window yeah. when it's pretty much the only game in town. And that results in, in coverage like this. So this was the, the, the uh, Herald Sun the day after the Cox Plate. So you had 34 pages of coverage. Can we pick that up? i tell you what. Let's, uh, 34 let me, pages of coverage on the Cox Plate. So Winx, this. who is a colossal deal over there, there. 
and we was 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 picked up in a way that you couldn't right, okay. comprehend let's, over let's, here. We'll get it on one of these cameras anyway. There we are. So that's the front page. There was a 24-page pullout inside on the horse race. You had a souvenir um, uh, poster in the middle, and then on the Thursday they had a, a magazine, a Winx magazine. Again, the day after the Melbourne Cup, this is the age. This is the this equivalent is, of the, is, the is, Times. It's not a weekly Winx magazine. You can't no. subscribe to Winx Weekly. And no, you, you, you almost could over there. Right, where do you again, want that? So this is there? the age, that's the equivalent of the Times over there. A wraparound front page, 12 pages of yeah, coverage. Fantastic. You watch any news bulletin over there in the build-up to the Cox Plate, or particularly the Melbourne Cup, and every bulletin will have a horse racing story on there. Um, the Monday before the Melbourne Cup, you have a parade through the city centre. We have 24 cars in which the connections of the horses get in the cars, and you have Huey Morrison sat in a car waving to Melbourneians. That, that in itself is quite serious. Absolutely, isn't it? yeah. Um, so the enthusiasm for it is remarkable. Um, the, the coverage it gets is remarkable, and it, there is still that sense that the Melbourne Cup, in particular, is part of the DNA of Australians. They run the race at three o'clock mm. so that children in classes, in school, can watch or listen to the Melbourne Cup. It's that much part of their culture. I, I know Melbourne very well, because my, my, yeah. I have cousins from Melbourne, and funny enough, my daughter's boyfriend's out there at the moment, he went to the Melbourne Cup. Um, but do they all have a day off work? Yes, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a state week. holiday. Yeah, it's a state yeah. holiday. Yeah. So, and it, again, the racing is such a big deal over there in the sense that in the different towns, so Geelong, for example, has its cup the week before the Melbourne Cup. Mm. In Geelong, that is a holiday. So nobody goes to work on Geelong Cup Day. They go to the Geelong Cup. Um, you'd ha you had huge crowds. You had 90,000 people on Derby Day. Cup Day was terrible weather in the morning, but you saw over 80,000 people there. You had 60,000 there on Thursday, which was Oaks Day. It's a short window, Nick. It's so racing gets about a month in the sun. But in that month, you cannot escape but to see yeah. horse racing in, in the media. And for someone who loves racing, that's a really... Um, energising thing. If there's one man who might be more evangelical <laughs> about the Melbourne Cup than you, although I, I don't necessarily, yeah, it's, it's I'm not, not going to bet on it, it yeah. could be yeah. Charlie Appleby because he's won it and became the first British base trainer ever to win the Melbourne Cup and he joins us on the line now after what's been a whirlwind couple of weeks. Charlie, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Um, are your feet somewhere on the ground and if so, where are they? We're getting closer to home. We're in Dubai now. We arrived in Dubai this morning um, to spend the next 24 hours here and then um, back to home soil. They always say if you want something done, ask a busy man. You've been about the busiest international trainer on the beat. Uh, have you had any time to really reflect on what an extraordinary year this has been? Not yet, but look, it's been, as we all know, it's been, it has been a stellar year. Um, as respects to the, to the Melbourne Cup, a bit like the derby, it took two or three days for it all to sink in, and we've been busy this week. As, as you know, we've quite rightly been chatting about there. You know, they embrace their racing so well over there, and you know, even you know, pre-race and post-race. Um, so, uh, yeah, to say that I've taken it in, probably not quite yet. But anyway, like I say, it's been a fantastic year, and and and, and most importantly, it's, it's been you know great with Hanna Sheikh Mohammed and, and, and Team Godolphin. And as a cultural experience, the Melbourne Cup, you heard Lee talking about it there. I know you were 
spending quite a bit of the build-up to the race in, in Kentucky, because I saw you there and you, you had a wonderful Breeders' Cup as well. But uh, did, did you sort of identify with what Lee was saying about how, how it is so culturally ingrained into sort of Australian society? Oh, for sure. Obviously, my first experience down there was three years ago, and, uh, you know, I couldn't believe it. Uh, quite, you know, sort of echoing everything that was just mentioned, really, is, you know, they embrace it like six weeks down there, the Spring Carnival. Um, you, know, you know, as we all said, you know, you pick up the daily papers there, and, it, and it's front and back page. Um, so it, it is a very, uh, you know, different experience to what we would, um, you know, take, in, take mm-hmm. on board, should we say, back in Europe. But, uh, yeah, it's... It, um, something that uh, you have to be there to, to really to get the feel of it all and, 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 and understand how, how much they, they, they love their racing down or sport in general. So what were, the, what were the attributes that enabled your horse Cross Counter to become the first British trained winner of this race? I think he had a, he had a great profile going into the race. As we all know, the, the, the weight for a three-year-old allowance was, was very attractive. Um, and and um, you know, people have spoken about it's going to be reviewed and uh, but but at the end of the day, I, I do also think that you know the, the allowance is there for a reason. Um, you know it's tough for those three olds to go down there. Um, you know, cross counter that was only his eighth run of his career. Um, but I just felt that his his class would overcome the, the inexperience. Um, the way the race has, was run, um, you know, it wasn't an end to end gallop. So it, 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 I know it's you know when you're watching it, you wouldn't have been probably particularly you know confident throughout but the way the way the pace was being ran that it was turning it was all if it was going to turn into a sprint he was a, he was a class horse in the race that's you know brought a track record over a mile and a half mm. round goodwood there so once that once he got angled out and got got his running room um i wasn't confident he was going to win but i knew it'd be hitting the line very hard you mentioned he smashed the track record at goodwood he beat the derby second in a record time in a small field and now he's won a melbourne cup over a tactically run two miles coming from off the bias on rain softened ground he's clearly got some versatility but what is going to be his forte next season and what do you think his biggest target's going to be he's going to come back to dubai he arrives back tomorrow he'll have the whole winter off um and 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 then we'll you know sort of try and formulate a, a race plan for him um to say what will be his immediate targets, I'll be honest, we haven't got anything as yet. Um, you know, I mean, r- rather than being very specific, Joe, I mean, do you see him as a, a mile and a, a, a sort of group one mile and a half horse for all the big older horse races? Do you see him as a cup horse? Do you see him as a what sort of horse do you see him as essentially? He's a gel, you know, he's a gel, he's a gelder son of Tier Filio, Nick. So his you know his his campaign is probably going to be you know internationally. Um, do I think he can win a group one? Over a mile and a half internationally, I think he's going to be a, certainly a strong player in it. He, he's fully entitled to to do well from three to four um, with that experience under his belt now. Um, but I, I would like to think that we could work back from a Melbourne Cup. Mm. I know obviously our weights are going to be significantly higher, um, but like I say he's, he's he's fully entitled to improve um, considerably as well. So um, it, you know, as we all know, it's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough ask to try and repeat that performance again, but. Um, I think our likelihood is we'll be working back from from a Melbourne Cup, potentially. And you're going to have some nice four-year-olds next year. And one of the nicest four-year-olds you might have is the horse we've all forgotten about. But he did win the derby for you, Massar. How's he doing? Yeah, delighted with him, Nick. Um, uh, He he started off, you know, doing some slow, slow, very easy, slow work at the moment. Uh, He's going to be um, coming back out to Dubai within the next sort of four weeks. Um, not to run, just to have his rehabilitation out here. Um, 
and then all being well, we're, we're shipped back. And, you know, again, we'd like to think that we could be working back from, from an arc. But, I mean, this is all sort of, um, you know, still dreams at the moment. But um, once we uh, once we get back to, to Europe in the spring, I think, you know, the ideal first target would be something like the coronation. So there's no there's no possibility of him running in Dubai. That's simply R&R. But for sure, yeah, no, 100%. He won't be running in Dubai. Um, he, he's out here for R&R. &R and, and like I say, we'll we'll work back, all being well, from an autumn campaign. But what we ideally be looking towards is is, is the coronation with him. And a, a great Breeders' Cup. Wild Illusion was only a whisker away from making it an even greater one. She and your, your juvenile cult, Line of Duty, acquitted themselves brilliantly. Do you see Line of Duty all out as a derby horse? I see him once he steps up in trip again. We'll, we'll hopefully see further improvement. Um, you know, we're on a very lucky position to have, obviously, Corto there for, as a Guineas contender. But I think we'd potentially... Um, be looking towards the Guineas with, with Line of Duty as well. Um, I, I've always felt that, you know, that, that is the best derby trial. Um, and far from saying he'd have the pace to win a Guineas, um, I, I think he'd be a, he won't look out of place in the, in the lineup, and, and, he, and he'd hopefully run a very creditable race with the derby, you know, hopefully in mind further down the road. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. All is well with the world, right? Absolutely. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Can't be better. Except. Except. Brexit. 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 And the whip. The whip. Two issues that simply will not go away, no matter which nation you are speaking in and no matter to whom you are talking. The whip debate is raging once again, not just in Great Britain, but in South Africa, where they're trialling whipless races, in the United States, where the regulations are different in every state and where the um, ride on Thunderstow from Christophe Soumillon was much discussed on this programme last week, in Australia, where there were how many bands from the Six. Melbourne Cup? Six bands in the Melbourne Cup. So the whole federation of racing authorities is now starting to question, is the whip needed? What are we going to do about it? And I fancy, Lee, first of all, that the BHA want to take a lead on this. I just sense they want to take a lead and we might be entering a whipless era. What do you think? I certainly think that Nick Rust, in his time as BHA chief executive, has put horse welfare front and centre. And that's to his absolute credit. Um, he's been very hot on it right from the start. And you do sense that there are the powerful people within the BHA who would like to see the sport um, taking a stronger line on the whip and who envisage that happening in maybe the medium future. I just want, before we bring in Richard and Paddy, who are going to have some interesting views on this, just to have a look at the good work mm. that the BHA have done on the whip. Because on this programme and elsewhere, we are very, very quick to batter the authority where we feel they need it. I believe, and I, you may disagree with me, that on the whip and subsequent to the review of 2010-11, they have done excellent work. And that caption surely exhibits that in terms of the diminution of whip offences, even though the rules are significantly more stringent and are easier to break. The incidence yeah. of rule breaking has come down significantly. Now, you will notice that it just crept up again from 2016 to 2017. So the obvious question to pose to Paddy Brennan is, is that a statistical anomaly 
Or do you just feel it's one of those issues where you need to just keep tinkering with it every few years just to remind people of their responsibilities? Yeah, maybe. Um, I think when it came in first, like it caught everyone by surprise, but it's made us all better riders. You know, using less stick has made us better jockeys because you have to work harder, you have to use your head a bit more as when you can use it and what part of the race. Um, it's disappointing to see in the last two years that it's gone that way a little bit. It's like, just yeah, notched you, up a bit. You, you don't want it. And I think us as jockeys have to take responsibility for this. It's, it's, it's on our shoulders and, you know... It is obviously a, a, a very topical subject at the minute and we've got to be very careful. Would you mind riding without a whip? Look, I started in Jim Bulger's as an apprentice and he was the best mentor you could ever ask for and we used to push horses for like two furlongs with, you know, hands and heels and that was a great education. And I, I honestly believe I could be just as good as jockey, if not better, without one because I, I feel like I'm, I could be, you know, I'm, I feel like I'd be strong in my legs and it would suit me more so than it might suit others. Um, but from a safety aspect, it's just something we still need, especially as a jump jockey. But is, does that not suggest then that the happy compromise is to have the whip as a safety tool, but not for persuasion? Well, look, I'm speaking on behalf of myself. I can't speak on behalf of everybody else. Um, but as I said earlier, it's on our shoulders to use the stick in the correct manner. And if, if it goes the other direction and, and there is there is becoming headlines about jockey bans then we we're going to have to deal with, like we're going to have to suffer the consequences because of that mm. just come to richard in a moment first of all i want to have a look at this uh, caption which pertains to how many horses have been marked with the whip so a number of horses wheeled by use of the whip i'm not saying injured because some horses will mark more easily than others so even if a horse is marked it is not necessarily injured but these are the number of horses wheeled by the use of the whip. And you can see since the whip review, since the new piece of leather or fabric or whatever it is yeah. came into being, this has gone down markedly. 2017, there were no horses wheeled by use of the whip, irrespective of how many offences. Now, I should point out there has been one horse wheeled by a whip during 2018, but you get the picture. That's got to be a good thing, surely, Richard. And if this is the case, that it's virtually impossible to mark a horse with a whip, then what have we got to worry about? Well, because it's a perception issue, isn't it? I mean, that proves it's a perception issue. I mean, I think sort of anybody who's ridden horses at all, the idea that you would ride with no whip, it, you know, horses, a whip is a, a good aid if it's used correctly. And, um, it, it, but it's a perception of how racing is perceived by the general public. But that is important. Uh, so uh, jockeys can adjust their technique Accordingly, I, I, I think one of the best examples, Paddy will tell me if I'm wrong here, but AP, when the whip ban came in, I think he got banned once, uh, but then he was a master at using his 10 strokes, yeah. if it was, because uh, he, he didn't want to spend a lot of time on the sidelines being banned, and I'm sure most, most of the top jocks are the same, but it, it is possible to change your technique accordingly. Um, whether they should have no, no whip at all, I'm, I'm not sure about that one, really. For, for the reason that you've pointed out, that it actually, from the horse's perspective, is not that important. So if we're making a cogent case that the whip doesn't hurt, and people are buying into that, Lee, um, is it not then fair to say, well, the effect of the whip actually makes races more exciting, more stimulating to watch? It's a difficult area to get into, because if you say to somebody who knows nothing about racing, I actually prefer the idea of racing with whips than without whips... 
it's, it's quite hard to justify that position, even though it's something that I personally feel. It is hard to justify, and I think if you were creating racing utopia, I think you would say it's very hard to say that racing is better for seeing horses being hit. Whether they're hurt or not, I think if you had a dream scenario and you were saying, this is how I want racing to look, I don't think many people would say that watching horses being hit enhances their enjoyment of the sport, whether they're being hurt or not, because as Richard says, there's a perception Mm. issue around it. So I think if you had a utopia situation, you wouldn't have horses being hit. But we're not in that situation. We live in the real world. Yeah, I think what the, about I, the horses hanging? I mean, yeah. you, you know, Absolutely. You, so you, so you, when you, it's for safety get, purposes, yeah, yeah I, 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 I would never countenance a situation where jockeys couldn't hold a whip because I'm not a jockey, Paddy's a jockey, and all the jockeys I speak to say to me that you absolutely need to have a whip for safety purposes. They know, I don't. If that's what they say, then I would agree with them. I would also agree with Paddy 100% that ultimately this is all in the hands of jockeys. The, the future of the whip is literally in the hands of jockeys. And it seems to me that with all that data being positive, mm. the occasions when we really focus on the whip are occasions such as the Breeders' Cup Classic, yeah. when Sumion's whip use was deplorable. And on those big days, Cheltenham Festival, five winning riders had whip bands. The Grand National Meeting, four winning riders had whip bands. Now this, this is the most significant graphic that we've used so far. I'm grateful to um, Robin Mounsey and the BHA for providing us with this data. The offences on winning rides in group and grade one races are, have not been affected in the correct way by the, by the whip regulation. It goes to show that on the days that really matter, you will not throw caution to the wind, but you will win at all costs. And you're a, you're a living, breathing example of it because the one high-profile ban you've had in the last few years was on, on dear old cue card in the, in the King George against Vitor, which is one of the most exciting horse races I've ever seen. Yeah, and uh, yeah, look, that, that's not something I'm proud of. But, but all I can say in my defence on that day, it was sort of like heat at the moment. And sometimes when you're in that really big mm. race, you can just lose concentration a little bit and, and and your head, you know, your your brain can go out the window a bit, but yeah, look, it's not ideal. I'm not going to hang you for that by any stretch of the imagination. I hung myself exactly. But would you have won the race had you not used your whip that many times? And do you think you were using it with with enough time for the horse to respond? I, I think I definitely used it with enough time to respond. Would I have won the race without the stick? Look, I got up on the line. It's it's, it's hard to answer that question, but. Do you know, if, if the rider in second or the rider in third didn't have a stick, then it would surely even that out. Are you happy with the idea of, of sticking to a number of hits? Oh, yeah, and I think that is, you know, you mentioned Christoph Sumion. Like, we can't take responsibility for what he's done in the Breeders' Cup. I think we've got to concentrate on what we're doing in this country. And we should be proud of the fact that we have our strict rules and the majority of the time we're sticking by them. So, you know, it's disappointing when, when someone in another country goes and does that, but... Just when you picture the BHA and the jockeys ride in this country, yes, we have to definitely control it. But at the same time, a lot of us can be proud that we are sticking to the number most of the time. And I think you're right. I think the crucial point we have to say is that I think the rules as we have them now are excellent. I think that Mm. the BHA, as you said before, deserves tremendous credit for getting us to a point where we have whip rules that generally work 
And therefore, as Paddy says, we have to concentrate on, on, on what happens here. And I think we have to increasingly have a mentality when it comes to these big races whereby the sport and primarily jockeys see it as socially and morally unacceptable to break those whip rules. I think you have to call people out when this happens. You know, you had a situation at the Grand National meeting where Jamie Codd, a tremendously experienced amateur, produced a winning ride in a bumper on Getaway Katie May that I thought was really horrible to watch. He used his whip repeatedly of the home straight without giving the mayor a huge amount of time to respond. He got a ban for it. I think it should have been a bigger ban. I think that the focus of the whip is, to say, on these big races. And when guys break the rules mm. in big races, and I accept what Paddy says, it's a heat-of-the-moment thing, and you maybe get carried away. But if you get carried away in the heat of the moment, I think you have to be punished more. There's no excuse for getting carried away, but the, 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 the difficult, the elephant in the room is, the question that Nick asked is, would Q card have won mm. if, he, if, 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 had he th said, I've done my turn and I'm dropping my stick now, yeah. and he gets beat? But to an extent, that's largely irrelevant in the sense that the horse who finished second, whose mm. jockey maybe didn't break the whip he rules... He did as well, don't worry. Yeah, but, 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 but in a yeah. theoretical situation where yeah. the jockey on the second mm. doesn't break the whip rules then whether the guy so, who won the race... So it follows that unless you are prepared to make that draconian step of saying, well, you are disqualified because you use too much, and then, then you'll never, and, ever stop And it. I think a draconian step is necessary, but I would rather, as a first move, have that draconian step being stiffer punishments on jockeys and maybe on, on winning connections. Maybe where a jockey at the minute is getting 16 days, it goes to a month... And maybe the winning connections lose a percentage of the prize money they well, would have received. That's tough on the on the owner and trainer, isn't it? <laughs> but as I say, I think maybe draconian. If we're going to change this, and I'd, I'd say I think large the whip rules are working fantastically well. But in those big races, if we are going to change it and we have to change it, then something draconian might so have to be done. Said, I mean, just a uh, ridiculously speculative, not thought through mm. um, idea. Suppose you said, well, okay, uh, if you every stroke over the ten. We did. We it's, 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 it's actually eight. Every, every eight, eight. Eight. Apologies. Yeah. Sorry. So every stroke over the eight, we deduct a length. So in other words, we we're saying we're going to assume you're getting a one length advantage for every extra stroke you're you're using. If you like. In other words, the, the problem everyone has, isn't it? A horse wins on merit, wins the race, wins the top race. Paddy, not Paddy, another jockey's hit the horse twelve times, four more than they should. But they're not going to drop the whip. They've got momentum. They're going to win the race. Uh, if you were saying, well, actually, we're going, to, we're going to find a way of allowing for the second horse who has followed the rules, mm. or the jockey's followed the rules, to square this up. Um, I remember once, um, years ago, losing a race, a hands and heels race, um, because you carry a whip. They could carry yeah. the whip, but can't use it. Can't use it, no. And we were beaten by horse where the, the lad was not going to get up and just finally just picked it up and gave him one big smack back and he got up to beat us a nose or something. He got a ban. We lost the race, you know, and uh, my, my, my jockey was doing it the right way. So, uh, you know, unless you're prepared to take that step, mm -hmm. I think you can never stop this. So you'd be in a favour of the DQ? Disqualify the winner of the Well, I'd like to understand why, you sh why we shouldn't be in favour of it. You know, I mean, what, what, is it, what is it that's stopping us from doing that? So Mark Prescott's view has always been that once that happens once and one set of connections yeah. lose a race, because it wouldn't happen again. Yeah. yeah. I think it's got broader implications on the flat, hasn't it? 
in big Group One races where the where the penalty is more likely to to be incurred, as we've seen from the from the mm. graphic there. And if you had a if you have a race which has got a, a major influence in shaping the breed, and you have a horse taken down, I think the potential ramifications of that are so significant that I think I just think it's one step on the way to saying right, get rid of it, because frankly, it's, too, it's more hassle than it's worth. I think if you go down the DQ route, you may as well get rid of it altogether. And I don't agree with getting rid of it either. No. But you could have, if you, what do you say, you're, you're suggesting they carry whips but can't use them. They can only use it to correct. No, I'm suggesting they can use the whips and I think our rules oh, are fine. But sorry. that's, but that's, I think if you go down the disqualification route, you're only, you're one step, you may as well just get rid of it. Because I think the the storm that it will provoke in so many different instances will, will lead to complete chaos. But do, do, do you mean get rid of the jockeys carrying a whip or just use it? Couldn't I, carry think it will, I think the whip will, will go in terms, of a, as a, a, in terms of a coercive tool. Yeah, because you, you, then, then there'll be an argument, what's coercive and what's not? I was having to straighten him. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't, it, 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 you know, that, that'll be the discussion then yeah. in the stewards' room. Was it coercive or was it correction? And, 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 if, and if you don't carry a whip at all, you'll have more and more in the stewards' room, well, you know, of, of particularly flat racing, where a young horse will run and bump into another one and we'll get another set of problems. Paddy, last word on this from you. Yeah, I, like I said earlier, just, I think we're all, you know, in England doing a fantastic job but as jockeys it's on our shoulders and we've got to keep it going the right way you could you could make eight six i mean jockeys have adapted to the reduction and you know you could you could continually to push that down so that they can use it but only but less and less use to be fair i think it's fair but it's like Mm. when you're going over you know that's that's the issue isn't it and um Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel, Dubai. Delighted to say that my special guest today here on Luck on Sunday is a man that certainly informed my love of racing during my childhood, during which he was an eight times champion jockey. He broke records, he set the benchmark, not only for talent, but also for drive and determination, particularly associated with his partnership with the groundbreaking Martin Pipe. 1,678 winners for a 15-year career. He is, of course, Peter Scudamore, MBE. Peter, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Only MBE. My partner's got an OBE, which, is a bit, which doesn't go down well in the household. <laughs> yeah. how, how is the, the, the honours pecking order up in the, the Russell Scudamore well, household? Your partner, Lucinda Russell, an OBE. After I keep going on about it until that horse won the Grand National. I was by far the most famous <laughs> racing figure in Scotland, but now I've, I've completely, I'm not even in the yard. Derek Fox, one for Arthur, Lucinda Russell are all more famous famous than me. It's the subject that most readily comes to your mind. How, how important would you say that day was relative to all the wonderful achievements in your own riding career? How could you rate the satisfaction of being involved with Lucinda's Grand National winner? Well, we will mention the book in a minute. So that's, um, to me, yes, it's, it's probably the greatest achievement because what was riding was such a personal thing, and, and that a team thing is probably always more uh, gratifying. And, uh, you know, I was driven when I was riding to a point of not enjoying it particularly. I mean, I always think the great thing that Fred Winter said to me, no matter how many winners you ride, it'll never make you happy, and it's, it's 100% true. Well, that was, you know, we had marvellous owners, a fantastic horse, and Luce and I and a, 
a, a small yard uh, battling away. It would give us give hope for Scotland, gave hope for some of the uh, lesser light trainers, I think. And people would say that if you and Lucinda think you're a small yard battling away, you're actually quite a long way up the pecking order compared to an awful lot of, uh, of oh, look, yes, look, I, I, I'm not around with 10, crying, a woe is us. Um, no, but, it, but it, it, it tells you how difficult the game is. Richard and Paddy there now talking, and I was saying again, the, the book, it's funny, isn't it, that you, could, you could sit my father down here in the 50s and talk about the same subjects. It's, um, but I do believe that the training, you know, we talk about Martin, you know, when I've been there, the Fort Warren, Martin Pipe, and now you, you're Dickinson, and now you're seeing Gordon and Woolley. I mean, it has, it's gone from the north, it goes to London, it goes to the West Country, Newmarket. The money's come from London that powered Paul to an extent, and now the money is in Ireland. And that's, they've, you know, the, Willie is way ahead of any trainer I've ever seen. Well, it's, you know, he takes on the great, um, he, he sent them down to the Melbourne Cup, he'll take on the great handicaps at Asker. I mean, he's already, I, I just looked, he's just had a win, I just sat out there now looking at my racing posts, and he's, you know, he's had 100 winners already. I mean, they, um, what Martin did is fantastic, but the bar's always raised, whether it's as a jockey or as a trainer. Um, and Willie's raised, Willie and Gordon have raised the bar higher than I've ever seen it. So you were in that period of great revolution. And, and this is, I want to really talk about you and, and your life as a, as a jockey and then as an assistant trainer and trainer. Um, you said that you couldn't really enjoy yourself when you were an eight, eight times champion. Do you think that's true of every jockey in that position? I don't know. I do think success breeds success. Breeds uh, doesn't really necessarily breed happiness. I mean, I do think the championship again. I talk about it. I keep mentioning the book. I talk about it in the book. That you know, it eats you. You'd every single. You know, you, I remember. You know, driving back, ridden two winners, uh, come up in the top of the garret at Stone the Walt. In those days, the racing results were on um, radio two or whatever it was. Yeah. And you turn them. Mark Bryce ridden three winners. Christ, how many is behind you? It it, it is. Um, perpetually eating you. Even the great John Frankham, you know, John was the most relaxed man that I ever saw in the way room. He was a laugh and a joke, but I remember him having a fall at Towster and, um, you know, going to see him how I, and, and he was dazed and he, he thought, you thought, he said, yeah, I didn't care, don't, don't care. And he's, you know, how many winners has skew ridden today? You know, and he's, he's dazed, you know, so it, it does eat you. So, um, yes, I don't think it necessarily makes you a, a happy person and, you know, poor old Luce has to put up with it all the time anyway. I mean, yesterday I got a filly called Simone Beat and, you know, my, my chimpanzees come out of my head and I'm um, very, very angry about so it. So you're still like that? I don't think you can... <laughs> so it's something, it was something that was ingrained in you, so your temperament drove you to being a brilliant jockey rather than you, you being successful making you of that temperament. Is it temperament? Is it, you know, possibly I'm not a very nice person, you know, underneath this <laughs> false <laughs> image that I provide. Yeah. No, I, I do. I think that's, you know, it's not, it's, it's other people carry it. I mean, AP carried it probably more seriously than I did, or as seriously as I did. Richard, you know, he's a great pal of mine, and I admire him immensely. But Rich, it, it, Richard Dunwoody. Yeah, Richard Dunwoody. I mean, he calls his book obsessed. It, yeah. He et, et and et him. John carried it in a different way. John was, you know, even now I was, you know, we, we did a show jumping thing the other, you know, at Olympia, that mm -hmm. I was done with myself, Charlie Swan, AP, and John has this ability to be leader. He's the, in, in charge and he did it through the wearing room. I think, you know, we, we talk about great jockeys who have ridden in. I think John deserves massive credit for taking the profession forward in, 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 in not in attitude is anything that we had, you know, I 
you know, you talk about pay. Um, I think that John made us realise we had to get something out of it. I mean, before that, and you look in my father's era, um, they wrote for fun. You know, Middlecombe's got, you know, you know bottle of Guinness under the... Um, mm-hmm table there. It's Moldy says, you know, in, in the book there, Moldy says... Look, this is David Mould. David yeah. Mould. I mean, who's, for those who didn't see him, he, again, he was one of our great heroes. He dressed properly, he was stylish. And he said, but we did it for fun. You know, that, that, and, and I think John was a major turning point of, of changing that. And has done amazing work with the Injured Jockeys Fund since. Uh, this is obviously John Franken with whom you shared a Jockeys Championship because he drew stumps when you were injured. So you could tie at the at the top. Would you have done the same for him if the boot had been on the other foot? <laughs> no, definitely not. And <laughs> you just kept kicking on. I, I was immature at the time. I remember doing a, a um, interview with Bruce Scott actually at Epsom after that, and you know it, it was the end of the season, and there's someone who's you know which, which is the best jockey. Bruce said, and I stupidly said myself, you know, not appreciating the um, great sporting. Uh, thing that he'd he'd done. I mean, uh, uh, but he did put it in context afterwards and said he, he never thought I'd be champion jockey again. So he, he pulled stumps. <laughs> and of course, you were champion jockey seven more times. When you began your career, did you think that was possible? It's funny thing. I I, I wanted to ride a hundred winners a season. I mean, yes, and then when a hundred winners a season hmm. was, you know, I, mean, I think Graham Thorner was champion with eighty odd. Yeah. Winners, you know, it, 100 winners was a big, big thing in those days. And I remember Stan riding a thousand winners, and Fred must have ridden a hundred, or and FB Reese had ridden it before the war. So, these because I was immersed in the history of steeplechasing, it meant a huge amount to me. And I never really thought I'd be champion jockey eight times, but once you are champion jockey, then if you drop, you. The, the drive is not to drop off because if you're not champion jockey, you're not as good as you were before. So, what were your biggest strengths? If somebody said, "What, what, what did Peter Skudamore have that other jockeys didn't have?" I, it's hard for me to judge myself, and it, it's but you've funny had to read time it. now, haven't you? Yes, I look back on it, but in all honesty, I love the thing that Bob Tonelda said. You know, he was one of the great trainers and his father, one of the great families of horse racing. He said, "Look, ten horses go down to start." One's faster than the other. It takes a bloody stupid jockey to stop that horse from winning. And I think if you go out with that attitude, then you become a better jockey. I think you can overcomplicate it. You know, you're galloping around a field and keep it simple. So you're uh, minimising error. I did, that was one thing I did used to do is write ten things, mistakes I made, and you know, try and get down. To, you know, even the last day I was riding, I was still... You know, you know, you try and ride at the last like Frankham did. You know, not sometimes I'd go to the last and ask them up too too high, and they'd jump them slowly, and you get them to get get over quick. So you're always working at it. And again, what does that great rugby coach Jim Telfer says? You know, give me a rugby player. He said, I want a rugby player. Looks himself in the mirror and says, I can get better. I can get better, and I can better. And I think that's what eats you. And that's what. So whereas I think John Frankham. Uh, had that he was not frightened to lose. Whereas people like myself, John, John Joe, Richard, we were much more. We were driven. We possibly, you know, I don't like. Yeah, John says it again in the book. John says I wasn't. You know, I'd have been good at whatever I'd done. I don't agree with that. Um, and, and I get a little bit annoyed when people say, "Oh, you, you, you know, you were, you had to work hard at it." I think I was probably had because I was brought up. I probably had more talent than perhaps I was given credit to it sometimes. But I did give this image of working hard, and um, yeah. I was lucky my dad had done it as well. So, um, 
I knew the pitfalls. I knew the mistakes he had made. But you know, and I was driven. I wanted to be champion jockey. You know, if Martin Pipe hadn't been born, how different would racing look now? How different would national hunt racing in particular look now? Um, I don't know. It's it's funny, isn't it? And I look back. You know, as I say, I mean Dickinson. So, so Dickinson had changed, mm, raised changed the bar. It, yeah. You know, I mean, nobody has. I mean, he. he I never rode for him. I was just. I mean, he 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 smashed us. I mean, he didn't just. You know, I was at David Nicholson's, and uh, he, he he destroyed us. You know, I remember you used to ride for the Duke, and you say, right, <laughs> he used to go, you used to, right, you'd drop one in, and Dickinson's would. You know, Nottingham in the days of his race, and I remember going around dropping in. Hey, you've given that too much to do. Oh Christ! You know, so next time you go, you chase, you chase Dickens. Hey, you rode that too handy. So he was blowing our brains. You know, he he was way way ahead. So I don't. I mean, then so so go back to the question of Martin. I'm, you, you you question if he hadn't been there. Yes, I think he put that edge. He de- you know he put that edge. He put that professionalism. That's why we got on. I remember walking down his. You know, I'd, I'd finished. I'd left the Duke because. Things went. We would. I'd, I'd had a good time there, and things came to an end. I'd been offered the job with Fred Winter. I mean, Fred was. You know, I, I don't. I, I keep using the word God, but God, Fred is mm. a God. Mm. You know, I used to sit in. John had ridden for him. You went to the yard there, and there was Millionaires Row, Alanzalotti, Killiney, Chris Bueller, Pendle. I had been. You know, I mean, it was. And again, I use the analogy. That, that's the only analogy I can use. It's like walking into the trophy room at Liverpool, and and you just see the history. And when we went to Fred's. Things were done properly. Yeah, John Franken was still riding a, out in the collar and tie. The head lad had a collar and tie. Mm. Um, Fred rode out in breeches and boots. The horse was tacked up for him. He'd come out in the morning. But you walked into his office, and there at the back of the office was a picture of um, him winning. You know, when there was three days at Cheltenham, there was, and the three great ones were the Triumph, the Gold Cup, and the Champion Hurdle. In those days, the Ryanair, whatever it is, and you know, fantastic race. I don't mean to say whatever it is, the Ryanair. And those weren't Group One races in the same. So when Fred told you to do something, you know, he's done it. He's done it better than anything. So, so that was the sort of purest idea of the greatest job in the world. But the Martin Pipe job, which you kind of you, you rode both horses for a while, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And, and then was the, Fred got horse and yeah. hurt, and Charlie came on, and I couldn't maintain. But so I've then gone to Martin's, and um, you know, it's with Fred behind me. But Martin said to me one day, "Look," he said. If you trust me, if we if we work together, if we trust, and you never tell me a lie, then um, we will, we'll get on. And I suddenly click. This man's professional. This is this is you know, Fred's over. You know, Fred's ill. He's over the top. This is the man that I actually sees eye to eye with me. And 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 that's what he did. And look again. I sorry. I keep mentioning my book because it is my story. It is the thing. But I remember you know thinking it's given up. Perhaps he won't be so successful when when I've gone. But that's why. Um, he and AP got on so well because I think you know, didn't work, you know, Richard went there, but I think Richard was possibly. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the the, the, the mental side. They're both only children. I think there was perhaps um, something selfish in it. You had to conform a little bit to AP, uh, to Martin to understand his drive and understand his sense of humour. AP got it, and uh, you know they, but they fought. Fought like cats and dogs. Did you? You didn't fight with Martin, though. Did no, you? I was. I realised how lucky I was for riding him. I always, sometimes I did. I remember riding for him one day at Wincanton, um, and it was slippery, and I went round the bed and steady, and 
I came in, I think it was second, and he came, you, you're gone, you've got beat, you've gone, you've gone, you've gone, and luckily the next six won, so I got my job back. <laughs> and was he doing that to partly to goad you, do you Yeah, think? definitely, to, definitely, to, yeah, yeah. Did he have yeah, a That was his way, I, again, you know, you, you, I remember, he'd come into the party, I remember Mark Perrett had ridden one, and I, it was Chester or him winding me up and said, you know, Mark's just put this on front of the line, you can't do that, you can't do that, all you can do is make all, because that drives you to, to do it. So that, yes, he, he you know, again, I, I love all sports and the analogy of all sports. And, uh, you know, I love Shankly and, and how he, you know, Emlyn Hughes was a great pal of ours. At, um, and he used to tell me how Shankly used to drive them on. And I, not that Martin, I don't think he ever read about him or anything, but he used that type of a thing. I don't know how the football managers now manage somebody who's got, you know, £800,000 a week. I don't know how you do that. But to me, because I was... You know, I was inferior to Martin in, in that way that he, he used that to drive me on, yeah. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.